Next on BYU Sports Nation, after Yoli Childs, who was the most impactful player on the BYU basketball team? And it's a big week for BYU hoops. With St. Mary's on the horizon, is tomorrow's game against Pepperdine a trap game? And we review and preview what may be the strongest position group for BYU football, the O-line. Here we go. This is BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now from Studio B, your hosts, Jason Shepard and Blaine Fowler. What's up, everybody? BYU Sports Nation is live. We are your day-to-day play-by-play right here in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Today is Wednesday, January 29th. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jason Shepard, teamed up with a man who always has a fake mustache handy, Blaine Fowler. you got to have one handy. If you didn't get a chance to see it last night, um, Mark Pope and our own Greg Rebell, they were sporting stashes. <laughs> Look at you. That is so fantastic. Oh, All right, yeah. can we get it? Can we get it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. I'm channeling my inner Andy Reid right now. So obviously that was on the Pope show and they had Zach Selyus, who's known for his mustache this year, getting a lot of attention. I don't, I don't know. Like initially you see coach Pope's mustache for those that, that are listening. He had the, the mustache and then it had the, the, the end curled up, you know, looking like uh, like one of the villains that would tie people to the train tracks. Yeah. It was and so you're thinking, oh, that's, movie days, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. And then you see Greg's mustache and it was awesome. It was epic. It was Greg's, like, as soon as I saw it, Andy Reid. <laughs> That's what and, he said. And he said that. And it's the first thing I thought. It was like they took Andy Reid's mustache and just took it off and transplanted Greg it. Greg should think about right growing right a mustache. You that know wasn't a horrible I'm, look. I'm not going to say it was a good look for Mark, but I'm saying that was a good look for Greg. It was a good look for Greg. It was a good, look, was a good look for Greg. I, I, I think it makes him look, I don't know, you, a little more suave. Were you ever mustache guy? Oh gosh, yeah. I, I don't. When I go back and look at pictures, there was a year or so when I was at BYU, and it's even, it's even in the media guide, and I can't remember what year it was. <laughs> I look back at that picture, and I think to myself, why didn't – did I not have any friends? Like, did somebody not say to me, dude, that's not a good look But back you. then, it was a good look. No, it was never it a was good the, look. It was the Magnum P.I. S- Tom Selleck so, look. Somehow in my head, I would look in the mirror in the morning and go, oh, yeah, this is a good look for me. Now I look back, and I'm going, look, somebody needed to tell me, friends – Friends are to tell friends what they shouldn't do. And somebody should have told me that that stash wasn't a good here's idea. What, here's when you know you've crossed the line. When you have the comb for the mustache. Oh, man. That's, yeah. that's, when, that's Not, when you need to rethink some life choices. Yeah, I, I made some bad choices. And the mustache <laughs> during my time at BYU was a bad choice. I'm just going to say it now. Well, we've got some good choices in terms of our uh, show lineup today. Dennis Pettit, look. Jerem Jordan is not here. He's not in the vicinity. Now, Dennis is going to be on the phone. He's not going to be in studio, but 
basically the prerequisite is, yeah, I'll come on the show as long as Jerem's not there. Well, when I mentioned it yesterday that he was going to be on the show, Jerem about had a panic attack. <laughs> I'm like, you're not here, dude, so just get over so it. Just move, just move on. So we're going to talk with Dennis Pitta, obviously, with the Super Bowl coming up. This is a guy that's played in the Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl. We'll get his thoughts on really what this week is like leading up to the game. Plus, we'll get his thoughts on all the former Cougars that are playing in the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. Go Chiefs. Uh, we will also get a, a preview and a review of BYU football's O-line. The offensive line is getting a lot of attention in the offseason, and we'll go over all that. Uh, certain publications are praising uh, what is coming back for BYU's offensive line. So we'll, we'll get into that coming up a little bit later on the show. But now it's time for our BYU Sports Nation headlines. BYU basketball is now ranked number 19 in the latest Kim Palm rankings. It's the highest since 2011 when they were ranked at number 17. BYU back on the Marriott Center floor tomorrow night hosting Pepperdine. And head coach Mark Pope talks about the dangers of facing the waves. What's unique about Pepperdine is one through five, they really shoot the ball. Four and five are both shooting the ball at about a 40% clip from three-point range uh, in conference. And so uh, they're dangerous kind of from every position, from every place on the floor. You can listen to the game at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Pacific on BYU Radio. I will have pregame coverage one hour prior to. Very good. Big game. According to an article in Deseret News, Gavin Baxter Gavin Baxter is not ruling out coming back this season. Gavin tore his labrum and fractured his right shoulder earlier this season. Um, Baxter said that ultimately it will depend on the doctors and if they clear him to play. I'm not sure. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I'm not sure if I want Gavin Baxter to use a whole season here when he could get that season back. But I watched him in practice last week. He was running the floor and dunking and shooting and doing everything you'd want to do except for having contact. Yeah. And if he can help BYU win some games in the NCAA tournament... I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of back and forth on this one. Yeah, you look, this was, we were all excited about what this team was going to look like with Gavin Baxter, and then unfortunately the injury happened. But can you imagine adding his length and his skill set to what BYU already has right now? That That's fantastic. That, that, that lineup is scary good. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, like he said, it's going to depend on the doctors and if they clear him. So we will see that's something that uh, that actually happens. BYU men's golf shot uh, two over par in Tuesday's third round of the Southwestern Invitational. The Cougars finished the tournament tied for eighth. Next up, the John A. Burns Intercollegiate Tournament in Hawaii, February 20th through the 22nd. All rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending, presented by Trio You're talking about Senior Living. So are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. Look, I don't think anyone is going to argue that having Yoli Childs back on the floor for BYU basketball has not been tremendous and that he's not made a tremendous impact on the game. And it's not just what he can do offensively, but what the defense, ha- how the defense has to play when he's on the floor. What's great for BYU is that they have other players that are just as impactful. So, Blaine, which player not named Yoli is the most impactful for this BYU basketball team? So this is a hard question for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with TJ Hawes as my number one pick, but I'm, I'm going to have a 1A and a 1B because I would go with Jake Tulson right after that. But, but let me tell you why I think TJ Hawes, and, and that's because every time I do a basketball game, we go to shoot around for the other team and we meet with the coaching staff, and 
without question, when I say keys to the game, every single coach starts with, well, we've got to figure out a way to stay in front of T.J. Haas. He just kills us. It's really difficult to stay in front of him. He, he gets by your first line of defense. He gets into the interior of your defense. He makes such good decisions. Everything on that offense runs through him. He's an extension of the coach. We've got to figure out a way to stay in front of him. So to me, if every opposing coach is starting with their keys to the game with how do we stay in front of that guy, to me he's the second most impactful player. You have to build your defense around how you're going to contain him and either keep him from scoring or keep him from distributing the ball and getting 10-plus assists. Look, I agree with you. I think it really does boil down to TJ and Jake Toulson. And, and in all honesty, you probably can't go wrong with either one. Ultimately, I'm going to go with Jake Toulson. And a, a lot of it is just because of his ability to shoot the ball. Because he can shoot the ball so effectively, and I'm going to go over his numbers in a second, defenses have to devote way way more attention probably than they want to knowing that they have a guy like Yoli down in the post. So the, the defense's attention for Jake Toulson is immense, and it helps free other guys up. And it's not just guys around the perimeter. It free, frees Yoli up. It frees Dalton up when he's, down, when he's there. Colby Lee it frees everybody up on the floor because there's so much attention being paid to Jake Toulson because he can shoot the basketball. He's second in scoring on the team at 16 points per game. He's shooting 47% from the field and 47% from three. Basically, what that's telling you is his percentage from beyond the three-point line is the same as his layups. You know what I mean? Like, like a layup's a gimme, and he's shooting his threes at the same clip. You know what? It's unbelievable that he's 47% from both the floor and from three. That is consistency right there. Not to mention his ability to rebound and then assist his teammates. When Toulson plays well and specifically shoots the ball well, BYU's usually the winning team. That's why ultimately I go with Jake Toulson, just because of the threat. And we saw it in in the game at Pacific where he went on that mini 14-0 run himself. He He was fantastic. His ability to shoot, I think, is what sets him apart. Well, I'll tell you what. He's really upped his shooting in the last couple of weeks. Like, he seems even more comfortable. That's hard to say because yeah. he, he's always seemed comfortable. And he's such a mismatch because if you put a little guy on him, he just posts up. He's got this great post game where he'll take you down into the paint, just back you down. If you don't double-team him, he's going to get a little little jump hook over the top. And, and his three-point shooting has been ridiculous yeah. in the last couple of weeks. So he's really elevated his game. That's why I said 1A and 1B. I, I took TJ because of what coaches say. Yeah. But, but I Again, recognize that. You can't that go wrong with either one of these guys. Th- this is why this team is still talked about all the time as an NCAA tournament team. Combination of Yoli and, I mean, just all of the pieces. But the three we've already talked about, you mentioned Yoli and who else? Jake and TJ. That threesome is a core which around everything else is built. This is a very good basketball team right now. Well, and not just because of their skill sets and the numbers that they're putting up, but the fact that they're all seniors. Yeah. And some beyond. Leadership and and then some. So then what if they get Baxter back? Oh my goodness. Oh goodness. Okay. Tomorrow's game. Pepperdine, is this a trap game for the Cougars? Look, I can't, I can't say this emphatically enough. No, absolutely not. This is not a trap game. To me, and I don't know if your definition syncs up with mine, the definition of a trap game is a game that a team overlooks. How in the world is BYU going to overlook anybody after the loss to San Francisco? They are not in that mindset one bit. And here's the other thing. Pepperdine has had some success against the Cougars, so that's another reason why BYU will be on high alert. I don't see any scenario where this is a trap game for BYU. They have extra motivation to get back on the right track after the events that unfolded against 
San Francisco where it looked like BYU was going to cruise in that game and then the wheels just fell apart and the Dons got hot and they went on a 21 nothing run. I, I just don't, there's no way this is a trap game. BYU is locked in. You come off a loss like that, there is no way you are overlooking anybody. The Waves have 100% of BYU's attention. Well, I'm, I'm going to agree with you that I, I'm not going to categorize it as a trap game because I agree with you. A trap game, in my definition, is one that you you just don't really pay that much attention exactly. to as a team. You don't have the kind of focus that you need to have, right? That's not going to be the case. I will categorize it as a scary game for BYU. And, and here's the reason. Pepperdine is the type of team that, that you hate to play. The reason they don't have more wins is because they've been inconsistent defensively. When you looked at those numbers that we had up, they match up with BYU really well on the offensive side. They rebound the basketball well, but defensively they're up and down. But this team's very skilled. And I'll give you three reasons why th- this is a scary team. Their names are Ross and Edwards times two. Yeah, two so the Edwards. Edwards brothers. Colby Ross comes in here averaging 20 points a game, 7.4 assists, but he's a guy that could go off for 40 if you don't guard him. Cameron Edwards, the senior, 16.9 points, 7.2 rebounds. This is, this is, Edwards is a guy that can go off. So, so they have players that can get hot, and if you don't get into them and defend them right out of the gate, all of a sudden you get in a scoring match, and being in a scoring match with a team like Pepperdine's, that's not a good thing. Right. And so so th- this is a game. Kobe Ross is especially yeah. scary because he has the ball in his hands. He can create. Um, so not a trap game, but a scary game. I do feel that Pepperdine has BYU's full attention. Well, and the fact, look, look the San Francisco loss, those are one of the losses you're trying to avoid throughout the season. Like it, it's one of the losses that, that comes to a team that's not named St. Mary's or Gonzaga. But. The, the good news is it has not killed BYU in the numbers. We mentioned Ken Palm. They're up to 19. They're, they're still hovering. They've been nine, in most bracketology uh, predictions. It's been a 9 seed or a 10 seed. They're, they're still in that. So from that standpoint, it hasn't hurt them. But if you come home and lose at home to a team not named Gonzaga or St. Mary's, that's when that's really going to hurt. So, again, I just – coming off the loss to, to the Dons, there is no way in the world that this BYU basketball team is overlooking anybody. They will be locked in for the Waves without question. I, I'm going to go right on. I'm going to tell you they're going to win these next two. I, look, I'm with you. I think they are winning both. Yep, and and, and I, I thought they were – and I thought they were going to beat St. Mary's – at home a couple of weeks ago when we didn't even know if Yoli was going to be there or not. Now, obviously, you know, he, he is. But anyway, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's a big week. It's another big week. We said it last week. It's another They're big week big for weeks. BYU basketball. No question. Finally, topic number three. We're going to switch gears, talk a little BYU football. The offensive line is getting quite a bit of recognition this offseason. One publication, Pro Football Focus, ranked their top returning offensive linemen, and there are two BYU linemen on this list. They have James Empey as the 10th best returning offensive lineman and Brady Christensen as the 20th best offensive lineman. So two Cougars in the top 20 in terms of returning offensive linemen also had their rankings, their top 101 players from 2009, or excuse me, 2019. They decided to go back 10 years and do the 2009 one Uh, for 2019. Brady Christensen was the offensive lineman. The highest player in that, uh, if you remember, was Austin Lee, I believe at number 86, but Brady Christensen came in at number 95. James Impey was just just on the outside looking in, didn't make the top 101, but a lot of recognition going to this BYU offensive line, and I think rightfully so. So, Blaine, is this a good thing that the best two players returning next season, at least according to this publication, are offensive linemen? 
I, I think it's a great thing. And, and here's why. When BYU's been good, you go back and look at the great teams in BYU history. Yeah, they've got good skill players, solid skill players, typically have a great quarterback, right? right? And that and uh, that always helps. But they dominate the line of scrimmage. You go, I go back to 96. This was a dominating uh, offensive line up front and good on the defensive line as well. Um, the, the, the Bronco Mendenhall teams with Max Hall at quarterback, with John Beck at quarterback his senior year were really, really good up front. I go back to the teams in the 80s, the Steve Young-led teams, the Robbie Bosco-led teams, the Jim McMahon-led teams, they were always unbelievably dominating on the line of scrimmage. And I know that when Kalani Sataki took over, one of the big emphases were, a big emphasis was, We've got to get better on the offensive line. We've got to get NFL guys. Where are the NFL guys? And and I feel like there's multiple NFL guys there now. And when BYU wins the line of scrimmage, they're, they're playing to their strength. And so I think I think it's a great thing to have both Brady Christensen and James Empey. And I think Brady Christensen, you watch. He, he's a top 100 guy now. He, he plays this season, comes back one more year. He's going to be a top 30 type guy. And he could be a very, very high draft pick, an unbelievably yes. skilled offensive, ta- offensive tackle. Without question. And, and the guy that wrote that article from Pro Football Focus, Cam Miller, we had him on the show. And he, he thinks Brady Christensen is, is, is a – NFL guy. He's he's the guy that he thinks has the has the best shot out of that. And and I guess it depends on how you look at the question. Is it a good thing? Yeah, because it's such an important position. I guess if you're trying to compare it to other higher profile positions, you could view it another way. But for me, I think it's a great thing. As we know, the O line is so important. Their play has ramifications on the run game, uh, the pass game, pass protection, all of it. And if you have two players coming back that are viewed as guys that will play at the next level, you're ahead of the game. And and I'm saying this without talking. With Zach Wilson or Jaron Hall or Aaron Roderick or Jeff Grimes. I haven't talked to any of them and asked them this question. I'm sure they're stoked that the two offensive linemen are considered the best players returning. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, there are other really good. This was, they've been playing a bunch of youngins up front, yeah. but they've been all playing together and they've got depth at that position all across the front. They've got talent at that position. It's, it's their best position group. I, I think it's awesome and it's, it's good for a few years to come. Back to basketball for our question of the day. Who is the most impactful BYU Hoops player not named Yoli Childs? And why it's time to hear from you. Let's get to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. Our first response coming on the gram. Are you on Instagram, by the way? Sort of. Sort of. So you're there, but you don't ever check it. I get it. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. I'm not. I'm just... I'm just such a slacker. Well, you could follow media. at uh, at tneal underscore three. I, I tweet I tweet out like once a week, maybe when I'm doing it. Like I'll tweet out this Saturday when I'm at Dayton doing the Dayton game. I'll tweet that out. All right, not a big social. One, media one tweet That's a fine. week. That's fine. So at so at tneal underscore three on Instagram. TJ Hawes. He's a big emphasis on every opposing team scouting report, which is what you said, regardless of the year he's having. He's the definition of a gamer, and he's the best closer on the entire squad. What do you think about that? I like that. that. I, I, here's what I like. I think there's multiple guys on BYU squad now that, that say, hey, I, if you want me to have the ball with a game on the line, I'm glad to have it. I think you got Toulson. I think you have Childs. I think you have TJ Haas. I, I even think guys like Dalton Nixon would say, hey, if I'm on the perimeter and you need to kick it, I'll knock down the game-winning Pick shot. Pick poison. Yeah, there's, BYU's got a lot of closers. I think that's, that is why they're so highly regarded. Right yeah, now. on Twitter, Faceback, Facebook and Instagram. Faceback. Faceback. We may have just created something. It's a new thing. Like, <laughs> you put faces on the back of people's heads. Faceback. There's got to be a filter for that. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Use the hashtag BYUSN. 
Coming up, what do we got? More on the BYU offensive line. Are they the strongest group returning next season? We'll talk about that some more. And when Jerem is gone, Dennis Pitta will play. The former Cougar great joins us next. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. After BYU Sports Nation, watch BYU basketball with Mark Pope as the coach reacts to the passing of Kobe Bryant and Jake Toulson is mic'd up. That's following BYU Sports Nation here on BYU TV or on demand on the BYU TV app. Welcome back into BYU Sports Nation live from Studio B. We are your day-to-day BYU Sports play-by-play. I'm Jason Shepard alongside Blaine Fowler. And because you did not hear the name Jerem Jordan, it is a pleasure. I can say that. I couldn't say that if Jerem were here. It is a pleasure to have our next guest. Dennis Pitta now joins us on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline. Dennis, thanks for joining us. How are you today, my friend? What's going on, guys? I like this group here. <laughs> good energy in, in the studio. It is the way it should be. With with the three of us, this thing is all good karma. Now that you know, with Jerem not here, because I know you and Jerem that whole deal, you know. So yeah, no, Jerem and I are on very poor terms, but <laughs> it's great to hear two just refreshing, intelligent voices behind the microphone. <laughs> Well, we, we appreciate that, and we're glad that we could give you a stress-free interview that you don't have to worry about some of that, uh, that nonsense that goes on with Jerem. Uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's ask you this. Obviously, it's Super Bowl week. This is a fun week for everybody, fans, people that are involved in the game itself, the NFL in general. It's just a fun week. Explain what Super Bowl week is like especially as somebody that's played in this, that's experienced, the, the media that surrounds it, the preparation, what's this week like? Well, I'm glad you can look at it and, and say it's a fun week because <laughs> as a player, I don't think the word I would use is fun. Um, I think I would use stressful. Uh, I would use, um, you know, anxious, um, nervous. I think when you get to this week in particular, now last week, was different for players. They were still in Kansas City or San Francisco uh, going through their normal routine of practice. Uh, the media was, was starting to build, but, but nothing like when they arrived into Miami for this week. Um, and, and, and it feels, coming off a huge AFC or NFC championship win, the, the energy in the building is going crazy. I mean, it's a great week of practice, and you're excited. And then you get to the host city. And you see the media hoopla. I mean, it's, it's insane. You have your Tuesday big media day, and you're sitting up on these podiums, and there's just millions of, of reporters. And, I mean, you're being asked questions from guys on the Food Network, uh, you know, guys from uh, the Spanish Network down in, in Mexico or whatever it may be. I, I probably totally butchered that um, for, for the Spanish Networks. But you, you have so many different media outlets. I mean, People that don't even have anything to do with football or sports in general are there asking you questions. I was getting questions about um, how to tie um, a bowline knot because they knew I was an Eagle Scout. And I was asked to, you know, from the food network, what's my favorite food to make or whatever it may be. There's just so many crazy questions and, and just, it's, a, it's just a media hoopla is, I guess, the best way to describe it. So, once you get there and all the craziness, you've just been uh, whisked from one end to the next, for doing interviews, trying to get to practice, trying to focus a little bit on the game. It's just a very stressful uh, week of preparation, in my opinion, because you also have to look 
at what's upcoming. You have this massive game, the biggest game on the biggest stage you'll ever play. And to say that you're not nervous and a little bit stressed out about not playing your best in that game would be a lie. And so um, I, I appreciate the fact that you can say it's a lot of fun, though, Jason. I think um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think as a player, it, it would be nice to to have that approach. It's but, you look, know what, Dennis, it's, though, I'm gonna I'll be honest with you. This year, there is a there is a lot more stress involved for me because I'm fr- I'm originally from Kansas City, so I am a Chiefs fan. I have never watched a Super Bowl with my team in it. So the stress level for this season has been ramped up significantly. Yeah, and listen, it's a long season, and the last thing, especially as a player, you want to do is play four, five, six extra weeks, really, uh, once you enter the postseason, and get to the Super Bowl and lose. There's literally nothing worse. Because now you, you beat yourself up for that long, and you go to the Super Bowl, and you have nothing to show for it. Now everybody says, oh, you want a conference championship. Guess what? That literally means nothing. Yep. And it, it's all about the Super Bowl. And so fortunately, the one Super Bowl I went to, we won. And so I didn't have to worry about uh, getting to that game and losing and, and all that goes into that. So I got to celebrate. It was all worth it. Uh, you went through all the stress and the, and the physical pain and everything to get to that point, and, and it was all worth it. So I'm fortunate to be on that end. But listen, there's a whole other team that there's going to be some BYU player, someone affiliated with BYU in this game that's going to go home a loser. And that's, that's the unfortunate part about this game. You work so hard. You do everything right to this point. You might play your best game of the season, and you might walk away a loser. And so that's a tough pill to swallow, and that's part of the stress that goes into it because the last thing you want to do in this game is walk away a loser. Dennis, I, you know, I was all excited about it, but I'm nervous now. Like, you you just, you just made me think that this whole thing is miserable. And I thought, I'm trying to inject some reality some, into I know. Your, your, your fandom here because wow. you have to understand what the players and the coaches and everybody around the organization is going through. I mean, there's a lot. And then you have to deal with family and their travel and trying to take care of them. And you, you get this whole welcome pack, and it's got all the tickets and everything for your family for all the different events. I completely forgot to give that to my wife. <laughs> I lost it. I didn't know where it was. So she had a, a stressful time trying to get, you know, contact all the Ravens people to try and get where she needed to be without any tickets. I mean, it was it was a mess. And, and that's really what the week is for players. It's a little bit of a mess. And you don't, you don't want to think about it like that because, oh, it's the Super Bowl. It's this great event. But behind the scenes, it's, it's a tough week. And when it's all said and done, you're just so happy sitting there a Super Bowl champion uh, when all is said and done. Well, I, I hope. So, so, Dennis, my dad always used to tell me growing up, whenever you're in a big situation, take time to step back and enjoy it for just a moment, even if it's only for a few seconds. And we were playing Michigan for a national championship, and I remembered those words while I was waiting for a play to come in from the sideline. And I stepped back, and I spun around, and I looked, and I thought, okay, this is really cool. And then I had to get back to work. So I could enjoy it for 10 seconds. Please tell me there was some time in that game that you actually got to say, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's really good advice. And, I, and, and I, I think I wish I had maybe heard that or had that in the back of my mind throughout the week. Um, but I, I think I did. You, sit, you come out in pregame and – you want the as a football player and, and really as a coach and organization, you want everything to feel the same. You don't want players to think, "Oh my gosh, this is such a bigger moment than I'm used to," because then you start to play outside of yourself and try to press a little bit and, and do things that are going to potentially cause problems on the field. And so you want it to feel like the normal routine and be the same, and just you have to do your job. You get out there for warm ups, 
And it's unlike any game. I mean, the NFL is a big deal, right? Game in and game out every week. You get to the Super Bowl, and you're out there in warm-ups, and you're just looking around at the sideline, and you're, you just see celebrity after celebrity after celebrity just lining the sideline, which is, you know, you'll see a couple celebrities at your game here and there. But it's just, you realize how big of a deal this game is. And it is cool, though. You sit and you kind of look around, and you're like, man, this is like the pinnacle of your career. And then you realize, oh, shoot, I don't want to drop a touchdown pass in this game and be, and be the goat and, and the scapegoat and, and lose this game for my team. And, and that kind of sets in, too. And so there's just a lot on your mind going into that game. And uh, But listen, once, once the whistle blows and you start hitting and, and the game is going, you get in that same rhythm and zone, and that's kind of all blocked out. And it's just a football game at that point. Dennis and so um, I, I look back at that game, and it's just such a cool thing to look back at and say, man, I was a part of that. It's a Super Bowl. You just remember everything, and you're looking at it like, oh, man, that was that was really cool. And, and I think it takes being done with it and looking back to really appreciate what you did, what you accomplished, and what you were a part of. Dennis, you mentioned that somebody affiliated with BYU is going to lose the Super Bowl, but that also means somebody related or, you know, with BYU is going to win a Super Bowl. Just your thoughts overall on, on Fred Warner and Daniel Sorensen and what they've done this year, as well as Andy Reid, and then, and then who you got winning the Super Bowl? Yeah, so, I, I mean, it, yeah, the, the cool thing is somebody will, will win that game, and the, the tough part is somebody will lose. And so, you know, you look at both teams, I think these are the two best teams in the NFL. Now, now I, that's a tough statement for me because my Ravens were looked unbeatable all year. Um, but they just didn't have that playoff experience. They didn't play well in, in, in um, that big game and just didn't. I, I felt like they pressed a little bit and panicked a little bit in their playoff game and got out of what they do. And so that being said, I think these are the two most deserving teams to be in the Super Bowl. So I love this matchup. Um, you look at what Fred Warner and that 49ers defense brings to the table. I, I mean, that's been the best defense in the NFL consistently through the regular season through the postseason, and a huge part of what they do is because of Fred. And Fred has led that team in tackles by a wide margin now, I think, for the second or third consecutive year. Uh, you look at his athletic ability, you can't lead your team in tackles. And really, he should be amongst the NFL leaders. He's not. He's top 20, but he should be amongst the NFL leaders in tackles. But that defense just doesn't give teams a lot of plays and a lot of possessions. And so he doesn't have as many opportunities to make tackles. But to lead that defense by a big margin in tackle says a lot about his ability. And you can't just be a good athlete to lead your team in tackles. You have to be instinctual. You have to have a, um, a nose for the football, have, have that savvy and that ability to, to just know where the ball is going at all times. And so he's got that. And he's really a cornerstone for that defense and one of their young pillars moving forward. And so I, I'm so excited about his career. He's going to get – paid handsomely and rewarded handsomely there in, in, in San Francisco at some point and uh, just has an incredibly bright, bright future. And so you look on the other side and it's, it's Andy Reid, which I think we're all secretly pulling for Andy Reid, whether you're a Kansas City fan or not. And, uh, you know, he, he's a Hall of Fame coach, in my opinion, whether he wins this game or not. I mean, he's just done too much throughout his coaching career and been too successful to say otherwise. Uh, but this would just it would be the icing on the cake for him, for fans, and vindication that he is 
in in my opinion and in most people's opinions, um, one of the greatest coaches to ever coach in the NFL. And so uh, I'll be pulling for him this week. So it's, now I've got friends on on the on the 49ers, and this is this is tough for me. I love both teams, but I'm pulling for Kansas City this week. And and I didn't mention Dan Sorensen, Dirty Dan, I guess they call him, but um, he's just the epitome of uh, you know a guy that worked his way to where he is, and he started as just simply a special teams player. And if you're willing to just do the dirty work as a special teams player, you'll get an opportunity in that league. And he understood that. And he worked hard at that phase, and it's open doors for him now on defense. And really, he's had a great career and a promising future because of his ability to just do the little things and and provide effort and consistency uh, on special teams that has really gave him a great opportunity. And so, I, you know, I, I don't really have a big dog in this fight, but I, I'm going to be with you, Jason. I'm going to go with Kansas City. I just think they're too potent on offense, and uh, I'm pulling for Andy Reid to get this one done. All right, man, I appreciate it. Glad to hear you're on my side. Dennis, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. Great insight. And, uh, and I'm sure that when Jerem's gone, we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, thanks, Dennis. Good to have you, man. Yeah, next time he's gone. Thanks for the time, guys. I just appreciate you making time for me. You bet. <laughs> thanks, Dennis. Great stuff, man. Always good to talk to you. That was Dennis Pitt on the Desert First Credit Union Hotline. Desert First, you know why. We show how. And before we go to break, we have some breaking news. BYU Sports Nation breaking news. It was just announced that BYU and Stanford have announced a four-game extension to the four games that the Cougars and the Cardinal have already scheduled in football. The extension now has BYU and Stanford adding the following games. November 28th, 2026 at Stanford. Also November 25th, 2028 at Stanford. August 30th, 2031 in Provo. And then September 1st, 2035 in Provo. That is added to the games that were already scheduled, which are November 28th, 2020 at Stanford, November 26th, 2022 at Stanford, September 3rd, 2025 at BYU, and September 1st, 2029 at BYU. So some breaking news, adding to the four-game contract between BYU football and Stanford, adding four more games. That's now an eight-game contract between the Cougars and the Cardinal. And coming up on the other side, we will break that down a little bit more. Is this a good deal for the BYU Cougars? This is BYU Sports Nation. Listen to BYU Sports Nation on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, or Google Play. And enjoy on demand and subscribe, rate, and review. Absolutely. And before the break, we mentioned some breaking news in regards to BYU football. If you're just tuning in, BYU football has announced a four-game extension with Stanford. Now, there was already four games scheduled. They've added four games to that. The Cougars and Cardinals were previously scheduled to play November 28, 2020 in Palo Alto and then again at Stanford in 2022. The two games in Provo are set for 2025 and 2029. Those are the games that were already set. The extension now has these four games added to it. November 28th, 2026 at Stanford, November 25th, 2028 at Stanford, and then the two games back in Provo, August 30th, 2031, and uh, and September 1st, 2035 in Provo. So before we get into some a lot of the specific, just your overall reaction to BYU versus Stanford going from a four-game series to an eight-game series. I love it, and, and I think that Stanford has a lot in common 
with BYU. They both have very unique recruiting challenges. Stanford, you know, they've had to go up for a very special academic type athlete to get him in there. Their standards are very, very high. And BYU, with the honor code and the standards and the academics here, um, they, they have to be very selective with who they bring in. And so with that, I love this. Um, the, the other thing I like is, is that Stanford, they're a good business partner. Right. You know, Tom Homo um, was there uh, b- back in the day, was, was, did some coaching back there. Um, he's got ties to Bill Walsh, who was a, was a coach there and has all kinds of ties at Stanford. And, um, and so this is a good relationship. What I like is that Stanford – think about next year, we'll play BYU late in the season. It's difficult to schedule games at the end of the season, especially in the month of November, um, when when you're an independent. Stanford, you notice four of those games are late season games. A quality opponent, late season, thanks to Stanford for that. Yeah, that's the thing that stands out to me. I'm with you. I love the fact that you're continuing a relationship with the team in the Pac-12 that can do nothing but be positive for you, however you want to interpret that down the road. But that, that is a positive thing that BYU and teams in the Pac-12 are able to make these contract uh, agreements. That, that is a good thing. Um, but I, I'm with you. Basically, with the four games that BYU added, you're adding two last games of the season and two first games of the season. That, that's, now, BYU's not had problem getting games at the beginning of the season with these high-profile teams. But the fact that you're adding late November games against teams that matter is a big deal. You have no idea where Stanford's going to be at that point. T- typically, Stanford is, is very good. And so the fact that you could possibly get Stanford, a top 25 team, as one of your final games of a season four times is impressive. Yeah, and, and think about it. This, it also sets a precedent where when you're negotiating with other teams and they go, well, we just can't play you late in the season, and you go, well, why not? Why is Stanford able to do it? Stanford's a, a legit top program. They were down a little bit last year, but how many Rose Bowls have they been to right. in the last decade? This is a perennially ranked football team, very well respected. They can figure it out. Why can't you figure it out, USC right. or, or whoever it might be, Cal? Um, and I like that the programs themselves are built similarly, the overall sports programs. Stanford, clearly the top overall sports program when you include Olympic sports and all that in the country by a mile. They, they, they win the Director's Cup every single year. BYU also puts a great emphasis on well-rounded overall sports programs. Th- these, these two institutions from the athletic perspective have a lot in common, and I love that they're partnering up for a long-term agreement. I, I think it's great, and it's going to cause a little bit of problem in my house. I was going to say, you, you have... You have... A very interesting dynamic with both schools. Yeah, we're, we're huge Stanford fans, and we're Stanford fans because my son-in-law, Dallas Lloyd, was a starter at free safety for Stanford for his junior and senior season. Great years. You know, we got to go watch him play in the Rose Bowl as, with his buddies Christian McCaffrey and that whole group, right? Yeah. And so we've we got a soft spot in our heart for Stanford. Uh, and, and Gavin's coaching at BYU right now, and so if Gavin were con- to continue to coach, so Gavin's going to be there next year. I'm really anxious to know what Dallas going to do next year. When they play at the end of the season, when Gavin's on the sidelines for BYU and all of his boys are out there for Stanford, who's, who's he going to root for? Look, I can tell you with 100% certainty, I have no issues. I'm all BYU all the time. So I don't want Stanford to win I did, any of the I games. didn't say that I was. I just said that I have people in my family, right? I understand. Yeah, you've got, when a family's involved, it's a completely different dynamic. Without question. But, but great to see that a four-game series with Stanford is now an eight-game series uh, against the Cardinal. What's coming up next, Blaine? 
A look at the O-line next season. Just how deep is yep. that group? We talked about that a little bit earlier. We'll break that down a little bit further. And later in the show, the BYU Creamery making national news. Ah, delicious news. This is BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. The number two men's volleyball team hosts number three UC Santa Barbara twice this weekend. The first match is set for Friday at 9 Eastern on BYU TV. Men's volleyball absolutely tearing it up right now. As we mentioned, talking a little BYU football, it's time to look back and look forward at the BYU football team. And today we are looking at the specific position of offensive line presented by Tim Daly Nissan. And last week, Cam Meller from Pro Football Focus joined us, and he was speaking very highly of the BYU offensive line. Here's a piece of what we had, of what he had to say on BYU's offensive line play. Yeah, just, it, you know, it speaks to how high they graded among, among their peers. You know, those, it, James is a, is a top returning center, didn't quite make the 101 because of, you know, tight, their tackles are a little bit more valuable to an offense because you got to be able to stop that pressure on the outside and be able to run block from the tackle. So that's kind of where Brady made the list, much higher graded. But James, you know, definitely, he, he was worth more wins and worth, uh, you know, more than the average center, more than any, anybody else I think than Matt Hennessy uh, at Temple this season. So for him to be on that list of top, in, in the top ten of returning guys, uh, it speaks to how, how highly, you know, he should grade and how highly uh, valuable he is to the BYU offense next year. Obviously, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, there was a bit of a transformation on the offensive line, and there were many reasons why. Here's just a quick, quick look at, at the change from Game 1 versus Utah and then how the offensive line played out in the bowl game. So in Game 1 versus Utah, your left tackle was Brady Christensen. Your left guard was Chandon Herring. Your center was James Empey. Right guard was Tristan Hodge, and your right tackle was Keanu Saliapaga. So that's how things started in the beginning, week one, versus the University of Utah. Here is what BYU ended the season with in the bowl game. Your left tackle, Brady Christensen. Left guard, Keanu Saliapaga. Your center, James Empey. Your right guard, Clark Barrington. And your right tackle, Blake Freeland. So what that says is from game one to game 13, BYU had two offensive linemen that played every game, that started every game at the same position. That was left tackle with Brady Christensen and center with James Empey. No surprise, those are the two guys that are getting the highest marks right now. Right, and, and I'll tell you, they're, they're a very talented duo um, that were the, the core of what BYU got done last year on the offensive line, but they're surrounded by a lot of talent. Note that in that bowl game, you're starting a couple of freshmen right. on that offensive line. I can tell you that talking to the, this coaching staff, they love Freeland. And they love Barrington, and they, and you know, you, we there were other people that started along the way too. We don't even think about Harris Lachance who started some games, uh, but injuries took their toll yeah. on BYU. You know, they they stayed fairly healthy for a couple of games, but they started to incur injuries as they got into the meat of that four or five game beginning of the year grind with all of those good football teams. And the the benefit of it now is that a lot of guys played. 
and a lot of talented guys played. And now BYU comes back. This is the strength of the football team uh, for the 2020 season. They are big and nasty and deep on the offensive line. Look, Thomas Schoff and Addison Polsfer are your only seniors. So you're bringing so many guys back. Former tight end uh, Joe Tukuafu now on the offensive line. And uh, offensive line coach Eric Mateos was on BYU Sports Nation last week, and and he said that the O-line is in good shape numbers-wise, maybe even a little over for fall. And so, I mean, I, I think that they like where they are. I think they like the talent that is there. And, and it goes to what you were talking about earlier in the show, that you know, when, when the new coaching staff came in, one of the areas that they focused on specifically was the offensive line. They changed the, the way that it looked physically and the way that they played and, and I think that that was, look, when BYU, and you, you said this, when BYU was at its peak, one of the biggest reasons beyond all of the quarterbacks and, and all that, it was, it was dominating offensive line play. And, and that's what they're going for again. Well, and they, had to, they had to start Brady Christensen as a freshman. They had to start James Emsey as a freshman two yep. years ago. And so they retooled. They rebuilt it based on a different type of offense. This is more the West Coast offense. And so building it differently, they needed different guys. They needed longer, taller, long-arm, pass-protecting type Which guys. is what it used to, the offensive line yep. used to look like. Yeah, and so I'm telling you, there's a lot of young talent. They've been playing since they were youngins, and this this group is going to be dominating next season. So, all right, coming up, why Mitt Romney got in trouble for repping the Y? Should never get in trouble for repping the Y. Repping the Y should be legal. Uh, Evidently, he got in trouble. (laughs) And Jimmer Fredette is an all-star in Greece. Is that a big deal? We'll ask next. This is BYU Sports Nation. This segment of BYU Sports Nation is presented by the Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. This segment of BYU Sports Nation presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Welcome back to BYU Sports Nation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, the show is also available anytime on demand via BYU TV and BYU's radio apps. That's right. It's time for Big Deal, No Deal, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Big Deal, No Deal. All right. Joining us on the program, we head into the control room. The voice, as some people like to call him, Ben Bagley, joining us for Big Deal, No Deal. I like the shirt, by the way. Thank you. Yes, Support very, Australia. Yes. It's, oh, yeah, I yeah, like that. Supporting yeah. Australia, yes, through the Utah Jazz. It's the jazz colors. Yes. I get it. Yeah. I get the whole thing now. So, so, Ben, big deal, no deal. Give us number one. Well, I just saw a tweet about this. Uh, BYU-Stanford extending their series through 2035. Kalani Sataki and myself will be 60 years old at the time, so big deal, no deal. BYU football scheduling games for me being 60 in 2035. <laughs> Blaine, you take this one first. I'm, I'm going to say big deal because it because it's Stanford. It's yes. a big deal, but big deal that you it, it takes that much foresight to put scheduling together. It's just amazing to me. Um, I will be 70 years old, <laughs> so I don't know that I'll be calling that one. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to tell anybody how old I'm going to be in 2035. Uh, I do think it's a big deal for two reasons. Uh, I think it's a big deal, number one, because you're able to schedule these and that you do have some games down the road. Uh, I also think it's a big deal because we'll still be playing football, apparently, in 2035, 
if you know what I mean. There you go. So it's, always, it's just comforting to know that in 2035, hey, things will still fo- be okay. Football is going to be around <laughs> for eternity. It's a celestial game. I like it. I like the way you're thinking. Except for nobody wins and nobody loses and nobody gets hurt. So it's every game ends in a tie, like the end of a regular season yeah. NFL. And nobody gets hurt. Okay. All right, number two. <laughs> Big deal, no deal. Gavin Baxter not ruling out a return for BYU hoops this season. I'll take this one first. I, I think it is a big deal because if there's a chance he can play, you're adding you're adding a major talent to this roster. It could also be a big deal, though, just for the fact that, that you're risking getting hurt because it's like a four to six month issue with the torn labrum and taking contact. Like th- this is this is definitely one that I'll be paying very close attention to to see if ultimately he makes that decision. But, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal either way uh, because if he comes back and can play, this, this, Gavin is fantastic. Adding him to this talent is, is, would be remarkable. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say big deal as well. Big deal and even bigger decision that, that they have to make. Do you use this whole year of eligibility to help this team down the stretch. And maybe what he's feeling is, first of all, this team has unbelievable chemistry, and he's part of that because he practices every day. And he probably just wants to be part. He feels like this team's got a chance to make a run. In the NCAA tournament, they got to take care of business the rest of the season. But I'm telling you, if he comes back, it changes the way BYU can play defense. And it's a a big deal, but it's an even bigger decision. All right, last one. Number three, Ben. Last one, Jimmer Fredette being named a Greek League All-Star. I'm going to say big deal, and and here's the reason. No matter where Jimmer goes, he gets a following. Yes. And so he can, he can be in China, he can be in Greece. It doesn't matter. The way he plays, the aura about him that's just all positive, no matter where he goes, he's beloved by fans, and here he is, you know, and he's, he's an all-star in Greece. He's playing well, and the fans are loving him, just like everywhere else he's always been. Look, you know how I feel about one Jimmer Fredette. This is why it's a big deal. Everything about Jimmer's a big deal. Yes, big deal. And that's Big Deal, No Deal, presented by BYU Food to Go, the MVP of your next event. Our question of the day, who is the most impactful BYU Hoops player not named Yoli Childs and why? Brings us to our Elite Voice of the Day, presented by Sundance Mountain Resort. This one in on Twitter from at Twiggy or Stone. Uh, he says, Toulson. When his shot is on, the team seems like they can beat anyone. They need that second consistent score, and I think he's the one who can provide it. That was one of the biggest reasons I went with Toulson is because of his ability to shoot and the amount of defensive attention he gets because of that. But again, I, like we discussed, you really can't go wrong with TJ or Jake. And the combination of the two with Yoli inside is that's a big deal. Yes, absolutely. Big deal or no big deal, deal, that's a big deal, Absolutely. Right? All right, time for our rise and shout-outs. Blaine, who you got? Okay, I'm going to start from the Wall Street Journal. Let me read this. Shortly before Tuesday's trial session got underway, Senator Mitt Romney, Republican of Utah, got busted by the Senate floor staff for bringing a bottle of chocolate milk into the chamber. Mr. Romney reiterated to the Republican cloakroom after this, or re- retreated to the cloakroom, um, and, and, and after he was gently chided, and he returned a few minutes later with a chocolate milk in a glass. Okay, deal is the, milk the chocolate from. milk he had was from the BYU creamery. Yes. His favorite treat is BYU creamery. Love it. Chocolate milk. Repping the Y. For Blaine, I'm Jason. Shout out to Josh Burgess. BYU basketball with Mark Pope coming your way next on BYU TV. Go Cougs.